Well, thank you, David, for leading us this evening, and thank you for being here. Uh, it is good to see Anne here tonight. We've had David over the last few weeks, but nice to see them both with us this evening. Great to see you back again. This morning we left Saul and David at chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, and we noted how that God had specifically chosen David to succeed as a king. We looked again at the exciting story of only a boy called David, a boy who in God's hands defeated a lion and a bear and a giant called Goliath. But we also noted how deeply jealous and fearful Saul became of David. And in chapter 18, we read these words. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he had led them in their campaigns. Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Mirab. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. And here we have a scheming Saul plotting the death of David. And in the next few chapters we read that on more than one occasion Saul himself tries to kill David, but fails. However, David becomes a hunted man, running for fear of his life, running for the best part of a decade, being hunted like an animal for almost ten years, hiding in mountains and rocks and caves. By the time we reach chapter 22, we find David in one of these caves, the cave of Adullam. It's a low time in David's life, a time when he felt defeated and discouraged, to say the least. In fact, if you want to know just how discouraged he was, take time sometime during this week to read Psalms 57 and 142. In Psalm 142, we read these words, words that record David's cry for help from God. In the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison. At the very beginning of chapter 22, that we find that when David's family learn of his whereabouts, some of them go to join him. But his brothers and some of the rest of his family weren't the only ones to join him. And as if he hasn't enough trouble as it is, He's joined by a fairly rough bunch of misfits and malcontents. Those who were distressed, in debt, or just plain discontented joined ranks with David, and David became their leader. In all, about about 400 men pledged their loyalty to David. Meanwhile, from verse 6 onwards in chapter 22, Saul too is very aware of David's whereabouts. And he whips up a fury among his own followers 
inciting them to bring an end to David's life. When we reach chapter 23, we discover that David is made aware of his great enemies, the Philistines, and they're fighting against the people of Keilah. But notice that, discouraged and distressed as he is, David doesn't lose perspective. What does he do when he hears the news? Well, have a look at verse 2. He inquires of God. He asks for guidance. He takes the problem to God in prayer. And again we are reminded, as we were by David last Sunday morning, of the great privilege and responsibility we have to inquire from God as to what we should do and how we should go about it. But notice what happens here. David gets direction to leave where he is in hiding and go and attack the Philistines. He shares the news with his men and then look at their reaction in verse 3. David, are you mad? Look where we are here in Judah, in hiding, in this cave, hidden and afraid. And if we're afraid here, what do you think it'll be like in Keilah against the Philistines? And once again, David asks for God's advice. But notice a different answer this time. First of all, in verse 2, God tells David, go and attack them. That's all. Go and attack the Philistines, David. You have my permission. Go, attack them. But in verse 4, we read, go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. This time, God guarantees success. And verse 5 records for us that God kept his word and Keilah was rescued. But from verse 7 onwards of chapter uh, 23, we find a kind of cat and mouse game going on with the spies and the counter spies. David still being pursued, Saul still determined to kill David at the first opportunity given to him. And the chapter 23 and verse 26, we read these words. Saul was going along one side of the mountain and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture him, a messenger came to Saul saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this place Selah, whatever it is, and David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. And if somebody can pronounce that for me, I'll be grateful. Strange, isn't it? Chapter 23, verse 27 is so much like chapter 23, verse 1. Except that this time, Saul, instead of David, goes off to fight the Philistines. Both men fighting the same enemy, yet fighting each other at the same time. And I can't help but thinking over the past few days of sitting listening to election results coming in and thought, boys dear, we're still living in those times. Now, let's read from chapter, uh, from verse 1 of chapter 24. And I'm going to take time to read all of this. It is important. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. 
And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, This is the very day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with him as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Then Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, My Lord the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is, a bent, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord gave you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut the corner off your robe but did not kill you. Robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just told me of the good you did to me. The Lord gave me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear swear to me. By the Lord, that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up into the stronghold. Let me ask you another question tonight. You've already had a question or two. How big are you into payback? How big are you into payback? The internet's a wonderful thing. And believe it or not, there is a website called Revenge Unlimited. Have you been wronged, mistreated, annoyed, or ignored? Is someone tormenting you beyond what you can bear? Are you ready for some payback? Do you feel that a good prank is an art form? Explore our site and find piles of good ideas and novelties. Revenge Unlimited believes that there are people in desperate need of a good dose of humility and we exist to help make sure they get it. And then it does have this disclaimer. 
By entering this site, you agree that you take full responsibility for your own, act- your own actions. It's lovely. But you know, I love the story told of a truck driver sitting in a restaurant, minding his own business when a motorcycle gang came in and began to harass the trucker. And one hoodlum in particular got right up in his face and he said, you think you're a big man when you're in that 18-wheeler, but you get out of that truck and you're nothing but a wimp. The trucker just ignored him and kept on eating. And finally, after some more verbal abuse, the trucker disregarded. Uh, The gang member took his orange juice and poured it all over his food and he said, how do you like that? And the trucker just pushed himself back from the table, went over to the cash register, paid, and walked out. And the hood looked at the waitress and said, he's nothing. Once he gets out of that truck, he's not much of a man, is he? And the waitress, who happened to be looking out of the window, said, no, and he's not much of a truck driver either. He just ran over six motorcycles on the way out of here. (laughs) You see, we kind of like that. I kind of like that. That appeals to my rather carnal nature. I like to see someone getting cut down to size. And I, to my shame, like to get even. It reminds me of the car sticker that we used to see in the back of cars. Cars, don't get mad, get even. David was wrong by Saul, don't have any doubt about that. Even though David had been a devoted servant, Saul became so intensely jealous of him that he plotted to kill him. At first he just put him in the front lines of the battle, hoping that he would become a casualty of war. But when David continually came home as a winner, Saul became so angry and so jealous that more than once he actually threw a spear at David in an attempt to kill him. David sidestepped the spear and ran for his life. But Saul wouldn't give up and he sent an army of soldiers out after David to do him in once and for all. And David becomes a fugitive and he finds himself in the run for the next eight years. Now if ever there was someone who didn't deserve to be mistreated, it was David. He had been anointed by God, God's own prophet Samuel, and he was anointed to be king. He had courageously, with a faith in God, fought Goliath. He had humbly submitted to his, if you like, kind of interim position as a musician to Saul. So why would God allow him to be so abused? I think we all need to realize that God has never promised that devotion to him is some magical formula that will exempt us from suffering. Jesus himself in John chapter 6 verse 33 reminds us that when you are in this world, you will have trouble. And we live in a fallen and sinful world and trouble will come and does come. So David, even a man after God's own heart, is hunted down like an animal by Saul's troops. Just think how angry and how resentful David must have felt. Everything that had been precious to him had been stripped away because of Saul. He's no longer able to be with his family. And in chapter 25, we see that Saul's daughter, whom Saul had given to David as his wife for killing Goliath, has been given to another man. 
his prominent place in the palace, his friendship, his incredibly close friendship with Saul's son Jonathan, everything is gone. He had nothing and no one to lean on except God. One day, and as you find at verse 3, when Saul's huge army was closing in on David and his men, David and his men hid in one of the caves. And would you believe it? Who should come into the cave but King Saul himself, alone? Now, the Bible is not a book of just high, lofty theological ideas. The Bible deals with real life And so it very simply and plainly tells us why Saul went into that cave. Saul went into the cave to answer what we might say was a call of nature. Verse 3. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. And it just happened to be the same cave where David and his men were hiding. And Saul is about as vulnerable as you can get in this cave. And at verse 4, David gets some advice that on the surface seems soundly spiritual. Here's what David's men whisper in the darkness of his cave in verse 4. David, now's your chance. Now's your opportunity. Today is the day the Lord was talking about when he said, I will certainly put Saul into your power to do with as you wish. And when they saw Saul and realized that he didn't see them, They saw the car sticker too. Don't get mad. Get even, David. And they encouraged David to take revenge, saying it must be God's timing. Only one problem. God never said that. And you and I will find that people, you'll find people who will say, well, God must be opening the door. You better go through it. Or the Lord's providing this opportunity or that opportunity. And sometimes God God gets blamed for things that he has nothing to do with at all. Early in my Christian upbringing, I was taught a very important principle. No door opens from God if it goes against what is revealed as God's will in the Bible. The timing of a situation or whether a door is open or not has nothing to do with God's providence. If the action you take to go through that door or seize that opportunity is against his revealed will in his written word. Don't make the mistake of rationalizing your behavior simply because it might seem like perfect timing. I shouldn't need to remind you or myself that Satan's pretty good at timing things just right as well. The Bible is God's roadmap on the Christian journey. Don't selfishly pursue something that the Bible says not to pursue. And just because it seems to work out, think that you have God's blessing. What these men were attributing to God, God never said. In fact, if these men had thought back to their teaching from the Old Testament and the law given by Moses, particularly in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, they would have known that there they were taught, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. But notice what David does here. Here's the man, Saul, the man who is trying to murder him, To say the least, in a vulnerable position, given right into David's hands. 
But David refuses to run his sword through Saul. Instead, he tiptoes up to where Saul is crouched, and taking Saul's robe, he cuts a piece off. And he resists the urge to kill Saul. Notice verse 5. When David does that and gets back to his men, here in verse 5 it says he is conscience-stricken about cutting off the piece of robe. Philip Keller in his commentary on this incident says something very helpful. Even though he resisted the temptation to sever Saul's head, he still could not resist this small taste of revenge. For to cut off a piece of the royal robe was an act of utter contempt for the one who wore it. This was an expression of the utmost disdain and disrespect. Though he had not murdered the tyrant in cold blood, he had in fact shown that he had murdered him in his heart. And it would seem that with this act, David becomes incredibly aware of his awful attitude, not just towards Saul, but towards God. That's why he says in verse 6, and I'm going to give it to you in the New Living Translation, The Lord knows I shouldn't have done it. It is a serious thing to attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. In other words, David is saying, I'm not the king yet. Saul is still the Lord's leader, so what right do I have to raise my hand against him? I wonder how many of us would say, what did he do that was so wrong? After all, he might have killed him. So what if he showed some disrespect? Is that so bad in the light of what Saul would have done to David? I mean, it was just a little bit of his robe. He could have done a whole lot worse. Yet that's the way we rationalize things, isn't it? And when David gets back to his men, you can almost see them giving high fives to each other. And they began to quietly celebrate But David wasn't celebrating. All of a sudden, he whispers in verse 6, Wait a minute. I was wrong to show, show such disrespect to the Lord's anointed leader. As one writer puts it, it's a bit like being in the army where you're taught to salute. But you understand that you salute the rank, not the man. The man holding the right might be an absolute jerk. But you salute the rank out of respect for authority. And David was saying, no matter how awful Saul has been, I shouldn't have been disrespectful to the Lord's appointed king. And at the end of verse 7, we simply read that Saul left the cave and went his way. But at verse 8, I get the sense that David waited for Saul to get a bit of a distance from him. And then in verses 9 and 10 we read, Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say, I am trying to harm you? Now I don't think David is trying to be self-righteous here. I believe he is just confronting Saul with the truth. Saul has been misinformed, and David, who has been misrepresented, is giving the truth regarding the situation. And here's another important principle. There are occasions that demand loving confrontation. 
I'm still learning, yes, I know, I'm still learning, that most of the time I need to ignore the wrong that I feel has been done to me, simply forgive it, for, forgive it and move on. But if it's going to continually eat away at us or others, if it's going to fester causing ongoing resentment, or if it's going to hurt the church or do damage to someone else, then it needs to be dealt with firmly, but in love. And that's what I believe David is doing here. Charles Swindle has a very helpful insight into this particular situation. He says, wrong is being done against David. And when you have been wronged, it's necessary for you to declare the truth. You're responsible for declaring the truth to the enemy, whoever the enemy may be. You cannot change your enemy, but you can be sure he understands the right facts. The most important principle here is not to seek revenge. We are not to have the attitude of do it unto others before they do it to you. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, Paul says, We are human, but we don't wage war with human plans and methods. We use God's mighty weapons, and they are different from those the world uses. But do they work? Did it work with Saul? Did it make any difference? Let's read again from verse 16. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have mistreated you badly. You have just told me of the good you did to me. The Lord gave me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. What a commentary that is. On Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. But let's be real. I wish I could promise you that every situation you face will end like that. Sadly, as many of us have proved, that's not always the outcome. But do remember, you're responsible only for telling the truth. You may never change the other person's opinion. They may even die believing the lie. But down in your own heart, you'll know the sense of peace you need because you've been truthful. And at least your conscience, like David's, will be clear. Saul confessed that David was, in verse 17, a better man than he was. He even recognized David as the next king. You're the man, David not me. And then he asked David for a favor. And in those days when one dynasty came to an end, the new dynasty would exterminate everyone in the old dynasty. So at the time of acknowledging that David would be king, Saul makes a plea on behalf of his family at verse 21. And sometime if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, you'll find that the story of Mephibosheth teaches us that David honored that request from Saul. However, 
as we learn from the next verse, verse 22. David doesn't return from his hiding place with Saul. Instead, David and his men remained in the place of safety. And it's just as well that they did. Because before very long, Saul once again turns on David, seeking to take his life. And in the succeeding chapters of 1 Samuel, we discover two major, two major lessons. One, God remains sovereign. And David, as we'll discover next Sunday morning, does become king. But lesson number two, sadly, Saul gets his, if you like, comeuppance. And horrible they are, if you read chapter 31. At the end of the day, each of us faces the same challenge as that of Saul and David. God's way, or our way. And difficult as it is to prevent it, there's a little bit of revenge in all of us. Let's learn from David. David, who was quoted to be a man after God's own heart. A God of whom it is written, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. With that in mind, let's use this as our closing hymn. May the mind of Christ my Saviour live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say.